You're listening to the Optimal State Podcast. Here we go. Hive Mind Detonation in three, two, one. Let's go. Confronting the lies and bringing the truth to light. The, truth. the mainstream. You can't handle the truth. Has been put on notice. This is the Optimal State Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to. Another episode of the Optimal State Podcast. Very happy to be with you all today. Uh, I think, Adam, I think we were just going to jump right into a discussion about, well, criticism and ultimately the uh, the, the nature of the critic or the uh, the role of the critic. Is it essential? Is it is it non-essential? Uh, I mean, other things related to the critic, but, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of what we'll jump into, but for, first and foremost, dude, how you doing, Adam? Well, w- welcome to, uh, another show. I know it's been a minute since we've got together and, and have done this. How's everything been going with you? Yeah. How you doing, man? Um, everything's good. Uh, I'm at the airport right now. I know both of us have been traveling the last week, so, uh, that's kind of why we kind of took a break, but uh, I guess we're trying to get back into the routine, and uh, yeah, I think that uh, you know we have a good topic today to discuss. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. I look forward to it. It's cool. You can hear a little bit of the airport ambiance in the back, but uh, it's nice. It's kind of very Brian Eno. I think he has an album called uh, like Airports or something like uh, Airport Ambiance, and there there might be some actual airport ambiance within that album so we got that going on and we're, we're kind of like uh 2023's brian eno project indirectly so to speak so um anyway criticism criticism that's what we're going to get into today and uh you know prior to this podcast have I, i've certainly gone down many a road where i've encountered many a critic Many an artistic endeavor or entrepreneurial endeavor where I've come up against people who've had opinions to share with what I was doing. And sometimes very rightfully so. And within that rightful subset, there were those who had, uh, you know, more abrasive ways of saying it and less abrasive ways. And then there were others who had not they weren't right saying it and they, the same thing, you know, that brace it and not. So, you know, there's a lot of ways to kind of deal with criticism, a lot of ways that we process it. And I think that's also a challenge in, in uh, addressing it. So, um, you know, kind of want to unpack it a little bit more and kind of look at it too. Just like how do you deal with criticism in a variety of, of ways, but um, I guess ultimately what, how could we like boil it down? How can we boil it down to a way where we're maybe on the same page in terms of what we're talking about here? Like what, what are we, when we're talking about criticism and, and, and then where we're going to go from there, what are we kind of looking at here? We're looking at it like somebody has something to say about what you're doing uh, or there's an opinion presented about a thing that an action so there's an opinion presented about an action, right? There's like maybe a counter, there's like a check presented on an action 
or behavior. Is that like a fair statement to say on like how we could define criticism first and foremost? Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I, I would agree with that. I, I think, first of all, everybody's a critic. Um, and, then, you know, I guess it's kind of natural. Uh, I'm not saying that it's necessarily a bad thing, but um, it's all a matter of like what you're being critical of and if you're being object- objective. Um, because I, I think people, to me, there's a difference between being critical and objective. And I, and I think that being objective is, you know, more of a fair criticism than it is um, than not. Because, you know, when you're just hypercritical of everything around you, it's more like negativity. Whereas, like, you know, when you're working at a job and you're, you're, you see problems, you have to be objective about it, not critical. Because obviously there's other people around you that, you know, have feelings and feel a certain way about it or might take it personal. And uh, even with like music, you know, we're, we're musicians. And uh, I mean, how many times have people that we've played in front of have like been critical a little bit? Um, you know, we didn't really get it too bad. I mean, we've been heckled maybe, you know, once or twice, you know what I mean? Uh, by wasting people. But, you know, I never took that personal. But uh, yeah, I, I just think that um, being objective is a lot better route to take than just being hypercritical of others. Totally. That's really the idea of uh, the podcast. Really what, what we center a lot of the conversation around is that pursuit of truth, right? Like that we're trying to search for it and, and converse about it in, in all manner of ways. And um, so, yeah, no, totally. Uh, That's, what we're trying to get to. So you got to like kind of wade through that in terms of the, the, the criticism, right? Are, are we getting to some sort of objective truth there? And that's constructive criticism, right? Uh, but I guess it could also be, and that goes back to how we're kind of dividing it up, right? We're saying, is it constructive, but is it presented abrasively or is it presented in a more, uh, a softer, more rounded edge kind of way? So you have you almost have it pre- criticism presented in like four different ways, right? And you have it presented in uh, right, wrong, and then those two could be present or like uh, I guess maybe not even so much right or wrong, but like objective or subjective, and then you could have it be uh, abrasive, non-abrasive within those two subsets. But anyway, uh, well, it's also it, so it, yeah. To kind of, I was going to say real quick that I think it's funny that when people don't have a certain skill set and then they sit back and they criticize somebody that has a certain um, skill set and they know nothing about it. It's like, you know, a, a, a person that's severely overweight criticizing an athlete, you know, it's like, you know, you have no, you know, you, you have no real say in anything, you know, you, you're just, uh, you're just being critical because you have nothing else to do and you're watching television and you can't do that. And, uh, and it's easy to sit back and criticize somebody in that regard, you know? And um, so. Well, that's interesting. That's, that is actually a very interesting thing. And I, I would actually, I don't know if, I think it's something I've always like acknowledged, maybe not something I've delved too deeply into like the mentality behind, but it's very interesting that you do see that you see a lot of people who are non-experts, like, legit non-experts people who don't have the 10,000 hours committed to the activity 
to say that they have uh, any sort of experience in doing that activity, right? So like you said, these are the the more obese people or the overweight people trying to tell people like, oh yeah, like that's uh, the reason you're not getting the, uh, you're not getting up whatever these eight reps is, you know what I'm saying? It's like that, it's, it's what, um, right, I'm, I'm with you on that. So it's funny that that's a phenomenon. It's just funny that that exists. So I'm, I'm wondering why that is. Why does it seem that people have that within them to become these non-experts in these situations? Well, I, I think what do you yeah, think? I think it has to do with unhappiness. I think people who are overly critical of others are just unhappy within themselves and they project. And that's the kind of the society we're living in is where like, we talk about it all the time. We live in the easiest time in human history, but we, people are just very unhappy. And I was talking about it last night with my family and I, I believe it has to do with social media and the, the connectiveness that we have. Um, and I'm not even saying the connected, the, the connective that we have with other people. I'm just saying like, you know, the connective of the internet and being able to have that connection, you know? Right. I'm, I think social media has revealed itself as a primarily traumatizing agent. I think that's its, its, its primary purpose is to traumatize us. And, uh, I I read this amazing book. It's by this dude named James True. I, I recommend it. It's called Blueprints for Mind Control. Um, you you mentioned earlier that we were both away for for some time. Um, I was in Vegas for uh, for a few days. Super awesome trip. Uh, mind boggling how an entire city could exist without any ready source of water around. Like just this phenomenally dry place with so many people this huge urban sprawl all just like an adult fun park and there's no water so just super surreal they they bring it all in uh you're flying in too and you see that the uh where the hoover dam is lake mead um and you could see the water rings like on a bathtub as as the water's going down so you're like okay yeah you guys probably don't have that much more time but uh you know that's cool. You're building an awesome F1 freeway or F1 raceway around the the city. That's that's awesome. I'll probably come back for that. That's cool. But uh, anyway, just super surreal place. But yeah, uh, was away there. But while I was there, read this book and just like crunched it. Just crunched this information. Super super far out stuff. Um, trying to think ultimately where I was going with the James True book. Why I brought that up, but. Uh, it had something to do with what we were talking about. Maybe alluding to the criticism. Dang, I had it. What well, was getting? I, I got too far into the Vegas story, or the 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 Vegas uh, description. Well, you know, I I think that it's systematic what's going on, and I was also bringing it up last night. I it's almost like controlled loneliness, and that's what they're that they are making people feel they're making people's consciousness like a prison and because they're making people com right. uh, compare themselves constantly to other people. And when you're comparing yourself to other people consistently and constantly, you are being critical of yourself and others at the same time almost. And that's the kind of world we're living in or rather than, you know, living in a, in a society where we're very accepting of others, um, you know, compassionate and understanding. We're living in a society where we're, 
people are just hypercritical of other people all the time, you know, and it all comes from social media and uh, the, the connections that, uh, that we have over the internet because uh, people weren't really like that. Even when we were growing up, people were not that hypercritical um, of others. And that's not the world I remember living in 20 years ago. Um, and it, it's really sad because I don't think that people really, it's just, so, it's the criticism is just so natural to people now. And it, it's, it's unfortunate um, that we're, we're living in that type of society because if people aren't happy within them, their own selves, they're consistently going to be um, projecting their criticism onto others. And this isn't everybody, you know, I'm not saying this is 900% of people, but this is just my observations from day-to-day life. Totally. Very valid. And you know what? Thanks for bringing me back to what we were you know, talking about before I got into the Vegas thing. But uh, to touch on what I was saying about James True, and it touches on what you were just saying, is that social media, it, it like it hits us in our trauma points, right? And I think that what's different from when we were kids, you know, now we're in our uh, mid thirties. And when we were kids, we didn't have uh, Facebook. We, we, we didn't even really have MySpace. I, MySpace hasn't even really come around. It was very, uh, it was like Yahoo, you know, Yahoo music or something like YouTube wasn't even really a thing quite yet when we were still in high school. That's how old we are you know, or how young we are, however you want to look at it. But, uh, you know, it's just, um, so the, the trauma comes from that sort of echo chamber of bad criticism, you know, and now we're in a, we're also in a culture where we look at any sort of judgment as bad. Like we, we, we grew up with our parents, the boomer generation telling us do as thou wilt whatever you want to do should make, be happy, just be happy doing whatever you want. So naturally in in an environment like that, any sort of judgment that comes your way is bad because you want to do what you want to do. So anybody who tells you otherwise, well, you can't, you shouldn't be able to say that. So you enter into relativism, you know, the world becomes a very relative place. Good and bad is very relative, but that, well, that creates a whole lot of problems ultimately because you get to a point where, well, why can't I beat my wife? You know, why can't I marry or, you know, get with this 12 year old child? Why can't I do all these other sort of vile acts that just completely destroy society bit by bit by bit and just keep degrade the human condition. And, uh, you know, I, I think that ultimately we, we get to this point due to trauma and we, we just, it's, it's really ugly because uh, social media makes us, on the one hand, accept things, but also want to hide things because we we do shame each other in these weird sort of ways, like through in indirect ways. And it's so much brain power, so much energy to do these like weird sort of twisted inversions where everything is spun backwards so that it's like if anybody who tries to be good uh, tries to ascribe to these timeless virtues or ways of being good that we all know deep down like that ring true within us if people try to do that versus other ways that are more steeped in the 
whatever's going on in the zeitgeist, you know, where you want to be a they, them, you want to cut this or that off. You want to dye your hair. You want to, uh, you know, identify as whatever is going on in this present moment. And that's how you want, what you want to sacrifice your identity to, uh, you know, that is, it seems to be, it's rewarded now versus the truth. So that's, uh, you know, that's ultimately what we're up against. It's it's a, a, a trauma-based society that we're in. Yeah, and it affects people's personal relationships. The divorce rates are so high. Um, even uh, my brother-in-law was telling me that uh, even teen pregnancy is down because of, you know, the, the, the disconnect that people have. But I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but what I'm saying is just, you know, we're so connected, but we're disconnected at the same time. And that comes from uh you know just not knowing how to interact correctly um and i think the divorce rate so high is because everybody is unhappy in their relationships because of the criticism that um they're dishing out to their spouse or their girlfriend or boyfriend or maybe the self-criticalness that they feel on the inside and they project it and that's why so many people aren't happy today um, rather than trying to find the good in everything, everyone's always trying to find what's wrong with their relationship, what's wrong with you know their <clears throat> their marriage. Um, when uh, you know I'm in Georgia, my sister was saying that like she's telling all these stories how all these people are getting divorced. You know these people have like beautiful families and the the guys cheating, the woman's cheating, all this stuff, and it's just like, well, why is that? You know, why are people putting their selfish desires ahead of the needs of their family and it's it's like you know it's like you said it's almost a generational thing like i want what i want and i'm gonna get it and if i don't get it i'm gonna continue to try to get it and i don't care if it affects my family it's i want to do what i want to do and it's it really is disgusting and uh people just need to like kind of wake up to this uh this nonsense that is going on. And, you know, I even brought up dating apps uh, the other day to my family. And I was just like, you know, dating apps, women think that dating apps empower them because it gives them unlimited options. But think about what a dating app really is. It's a business. It's meant to keep you single. They don't want you to find anybody, you know, and it's literally their business model is to make sure that you don't find anybody and you might get lucky every once in a while, but that stuff isn't empowering. Social media is not empowering. Dating apps aren't empowering. It's really just meant you to keep you disconnected. And um, instead of actually finding or like all that stuff keeps you from self. Because the more you know yourself, the more secure you become and the happier you become. But if you're consistently on dating apps or in social media or you're watching the news or you're, all this entertainment crap, you're going to be drowned and you're going to continue to drown. And our society is drowning because of the way social media and people are acting in the digital world. And the strange part is like, that's where so much of the criticism lies um, is the, the comparison game I was talking about earlier. Like, Oh, this person's, this person's got a giant boat. Why don't I have a yacht? You know, that's, that's what the, the, the system that we're in makes people feel. Oh, how come that, that girl's got 
you know, she got a boob job. How, how come I can't afford one? You know what I mean? Like this is the type of world we live in. And uh, I, I, instead of being critical of yourself and others, I think that you just got to find your own inner happiness in order to proceed and live a happy life. I feel that, man. And I'm with that. The one thing I would say just about uh, social media or at least just the dating apps, the one differentiation, differentiation, the one difference between the uh, dating apps and the um, other social media apps is just that they do kind of encourage you to get out with other people and like go experience life with others and meet other people in person. So I think that's one good thing. And that's what we should hope for is like people trying to make in-person connections. But all the other ones are these like black holes of just like, who who knows what you're even interacting with if it's like AI in some shape or fashion. But uh, well, I, well, I was just um, saying that. Well, anyway. What I was saying about dating apps, it's uh -huh. like based around validation, you know. And it's right. like there's this huge skew because like women can easily get validated on a dating app, whereas a guy, you know, it's a little bit more. It's difficult, more difficult, you know. But it, uh, you know, a girl can be talking to. 30 different guys at one time, you know, like, well, we talked about my, uh, you know, our friend, I, friend. I think guys can too, though. Like guys well, can it's be not, like it's talking not, to well, 30 I'm, different chicks. Yeah. But it, it, you know, that's not, it's, not, it's, I would say it's more common on the other side. You know what I mean? It's, um, I'm not saying it's impossible or implausible, but, um, I, I think that it's, uh, but it, regardless, it, I think it requires more focus. Men have more of the, uh, arguably more of the focus to do that, to put the time into that. I don't, because I, I think like some men will approach it like almost as a business. And I think more men just uh, would have the that sort of mindset. So I, actually, I would say it might not be as skewed as you would possibly think well I, well because you know what in the world of like in the in the nightlife world or in that that skeevy nightlife world there's a reason why pimps exist you know like they are the ones who are doing the business stuff right i mean they're the and it's just like that's how or madams even exist you know there's like always somebody that seems to have to manage that end of that world so i don't know i think Guys might be able to approach that more in a business sense. It's just kind of what well, I was, what I was saying. It, what, what, what I was saying is, it's just it comes like you know validating yourself. You know, you're valid. You're trying to consistently validate yourself through through your phone, and uh, rather than like it, it's almost as if like somebody if they think they're talking to somebody more attractive on their phone, they're not going to want to talk to somebody in person or give them a chance. You know what I mean? Or they might be less likely. I'm not saying it's 100, percent and I, I don't want to get into this thing where, like, when I talk about things and like I use these generalizations, I'm saying everybody. What I'm saying is, is that like the way right. that we have connected ourselves, we're disconnecting ourselves from society because the digital world almost means more to people than the actual real world nowadays. Which is like, you know, 20 years ago, you'd be a weirdo if you were like, we're trying to live that type of life. Now it's normal, and uh, and I, I think that. And if you aren't successful on, say, just social media, or you're not successful in a dating app, you're not successful, you know, you're going to be self, you're going to criticize yourself. How come this is, you know, and how come I don't have this? How come I can't do this? You know, I'm not saying it's impossible for them, but it, it's never a good cycle to get into that. And uh, the, like I said, the comparison game, some people just have it easier than others. And that's life, you know, and you never want to get into that 
that role where you are saying, oh, how come this person has that and I don't? Because that is the worst thing you could ever do. You just have to be yourself and love yourself and just try to do what's right for yourself and improve yourself constantly. That's the best thing you can do. And rather than being self uh, self-critical, of yourself and others because you don't get anywhere by being critical. I mean, you get you get somewhere by looking at things objectively and saying, how can I improve myself on a daily basis to reach a certain goal? And if you want to be, you know, if you it, whatever it is that you want to do, whether you want to be a pilot, you want to do it, like you got to take steps to do that. And the best thing you can do is just shrink your life down and say, this is what I'm going to do today to try to accomplish this because this is what I want and I'm just going to move towards that every day and hopefully you know things will happen if i work hard i dig it dude focus just be very very focused and uh you know understand that the critics be damned you know we all we all reach that terminal point one day so just be focused on what you're trying to accomplish so i think with that being said with that being very well said we're going to go to a break. Uh, you guys are listening to the Optimal State Podcast. If you like what you're listening to, feel free to follow us on whatever platform you're listening to us on, whether it be Spotify, Apple Music, or podcasts. Uh, you could also find us over on that cesspool of opinionated folks, Twitter, at Optimal State Pod, or check us out over on patreon at optimal state pod also over there we're trying to do this a lot more full-time adam and i do work full-time gigs outside of this but we would love to be doing this more often and uh if you'd like to support that please head on over to patreon.com slash optimal state pod we'd greatly appreciate it and uh we will see you all on the other side of the music
Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Adam. Um, you know, Jared and I were discussing earlier about uh, our, our friend, unfortunately, from high school passed away the other day, and we were kind of talking about death a little bit. And, you know, death is a very heavy subject, but uh, I, I think it's something that talking about and bringing it kind of to the light um, and familiarizing um, our viewers with it might be helpful because it's something that impacts all of us. And I, I think that we're, as a society, we're meant to fear death when death is just as natural as life is. It, you know, we, everybody dies. And uh, it's not easy seeing, you know, your family members and friends pass away, but it's part of the evolution of the universe. You know, we, we all go through this process of, of uh, being born and living in our prime and, you know, being like this beautiful flower. And then eventually we go into decay. And that's just, you know, that's just the process of life. And last night I was kind of, um, you know, thinking about uh, our friend and death. And it brought me back to Edgar Casey. And uh, I, I looked up an Edgar Casey quote about death and uh i asked and i was like oh uh and it's funny because i used chat gpt for this and i was like as edgar casey give me an edgar casey quote on a loved one dying i said the passing of a loved one from the earthly plane is not an end but a transition to a higher realm of existence through the physical presence may be missed know that the souls continued its journey and remains connected to the love shared embrace the memories honor the spirit and find solace in the knowledge that they are never truly gone but forever present in the depths of your heart. And even Edgar Casey said that death is not the end. It's just a transition. And since we're kind of bred to fear it, because we don't know what's on the other side, I, I think that it kind of scares a lot of people. And, you know, don't get me wrong. It's, you know, the unknown is always scary. And, but I, I also think that Part of us as humans need to embrace it. And if a loved one or someone you care about passes away, and we've all been through it, we just have to carry that person in our memory and try to um, be happy because whoever ends up, you know, whoever dies doesn't want you to be miserable over it. They want you to, to live a good life. And uh, I think that death helps us learn about ourselves. And because, because you know, death, death kind of makes you introspective. And, you know, especially when you go to funerals, or you go to wakes and stuff, you really think about your own existence. And, you know, am I doing enough here? Have I helped enough people? Have I been compassionate, empathetic? Am I doing the right thing? And I, I think that sometimes it kind of grounds us. And, then, you know, death, death can have that effect. It, it definitely can ground you and kind of shock you a bit. But I, I don't want people to kind of be scared of it. I, I just want people to kind of embrace it because we know it's like, like I said, it's just as natural as life is. Yeah, it's a certainty. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things like you, you could go for a while without it affecting you. I mean, maybe I'm sure a lot of people could relate to that. You go through a period of your life where it seems like you know, nobody's, nobody's leaving you. Everything's great. Everybody's health is on point. But then all of a sudden, it just seems like everything hits at once. Uh, 
some people could relate to that maybe but uh i know when i when i was younger i lost a lot of people in my family um in in near secession it was uh you know grandparents etc it was it was a lot of people one after the other and i i i really wonder if that really kind of just shaped like kind of my worldview because it goes back to what we talked about in the first part of the show about criticism i'm i'm very focused on the legacy I want to leave, you know, I'm very focused on the long term effect, like the big ripple outside of the small ripple, because I guess it all comes down to the quality of the observer. <laughs> if that's, I mean, that, that, that sounds a little like a holeish of me to say, but I think the big ripples matter to me. And those big ripples are big because they're observed by observers that matter. And these observers that matter define history. So I don't know if, if whether they exist in the moment or whether they're historians observing history, for whatever reason, they are the definers of history so that in the next 100, 200, 300 years, they're still telling these stories. So, you know, my friend was our friend, amazing guy, super awesome guy. And when I think of him, I think, how awesome it was that he touched on so many different friend groups and so many different friend groups have great stories. Cause I could see it. I could see the lines of those friendship groups and that he connected all of them. And I think that's so cool. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm envious of that. Cause I think that's such a, uh, an amazing legacy to leave behind. So many people will look at that and be so uh, sad that that is now gone, but also so happy that that ever existed. And it's, it, it gets pretty deep. I mean, I, I think about like, wow, I can't believe the life that was lived that, that our friend lived that life. It almost seems deliberate in a sort of way that these lines of connection were made, that he lived the sort of life he lived so fast and so quick and, and so like experiential and then to go so quickly. But I guess, I guess the point I'm trying to make, you know, without focusing too much on, on his personal story is more just uh, with life being as short as it is in the here and now, it seems silly and, and, and ridiculous to focus on the criticism that might come your way from anybody who's focused on the here and now and who's like really present what you want is you want that sort of, if you're going to get the criticism, you want the criticism to come from those who are observing the big ripples of history. You want, I mean, from my, my opinion, anyway, that's, that's, that's always, that's been my focus, I should say. So I shouldn't, that I'm not giving advice. I don't want to give advice. Advice is like, who am I to give advice? But the way I'm looking at it is I'm trying to, if I'm looking for any validation from anybody, it's from those people looking at the big ripples of history because I am under the assumption that these people looking at those at, at that bigness, at that vastness, at the macro level, are also looking at the, the highest level. They're keeping their high, their their frequency is as highly attuned as it can their aperture is open as wide as it can to, to, to borrow again from another james Trueism uh to discuss aperture but um so i'm 
for anybody who's on this earthly plane who we're with, who has been observing along with us, uh, that is, that's where I'm trying to gauge at least the, the optimal state. Um, a lot of the time is coming from there. So, uh, anyway, that's kind of my point on it, but, you know, I think we're going to, uh, land this one pretty soon. Really happy that everybody stuck with us for this episode on, you know, kind of broad discussion on criticism and then ultimately, uh, you know, death, you know, what comes after this life. And it's not, you know, it is a heavy discussion, but it's, it's not because it's, we all do, we all will ultimately leave. That's, that's the, the, if we're, if we're in pursuit of the truth, that is the truth, right? Like we're here to witness, we're here to experience, we're here to, uh, I think we're here to present, understand, and through understanding, set things to right. That's That should be our function because we have that ability to do things. We understand rightness and we can then present rightness. So um, that's that's... That's it for me on my end. Adam, anything on your end? Anything you want to leave the folks with today? Yeah, I, I think through loss we gain wisdom. And when bad things happen to us, whether it's death or you're going through something, you learn. And I, I think that's the whole process. It's just about growing as a person um, mentally, spiritually. Um, and I, you know, like my grandfather passed away, you know, probably back in 2006, I think it was. And, uh, you know, I still think about him all the time. And I think about him and, you know, I think about something funny he said or a moment that I had with him. And I I always kind of get choked up when I think about it. And, you know, it's 20 years. And it's something that you will never fully get uh, get over. But, um when those people are gone and you keep them close to your heart, they are never truly dead because they're with you and they're there somewhere out there, you know, watching. And uh, I, I just think that if we look at death as a more of a, not necessarily a positive thing, but a, a way to grow, I, I think that we can benefit from it to some degree. And it, it makes us a stronger person. And that's what it's really about because uh, I always say resistance breeds strength. And think about that. You can attribute that to anything in life, you know, whether someone's giving you a hard time, whether you're working out, you know, you need that resistance. And, and death is a type of a resistance because you know, you're, you're losing something. But when you lose something, you can gain something. And that's what life is about. And I just want to say to everybody that's listening, thank you. And I look forward to the next episode. Jared, it's a great topic, and I really enjoyed it. And uh, we will see you on the other side. See you on the other side. (laughs) 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 Uh, I think we got to tell that story at some point. But yeah, everyone, we will uh, see you on the other side. This is the Optimal State Podcast. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you guys soon. Adios.